Okay, so the Halloween Ends trailer has finally premiered. And not only that, we've gotten a hypnosis for it as well, too. And I am, I'm shocked, I'm thrown off, and I'm excited for this movie. Now, let me be clear. I enjoy all the Halloween films, even Rob Zombie's Halloween films. I enjoy them all. There is a place for every single Halloween film that's out there, no matter how bad you think some of them might be. They all have a place. And after Halloween ends, which was very, very polarizing, as y'all might remember, a lot of folks uh, were very dead set against Halloween ends. I really enjoyed it, honestly. Um, nobody knew what to expect with Halloween. Uh, I said Halloween ends, Halloween kills. Uh, nobody knew what to expect with Halloween ends. All we knew, and it was it was uh, discussed not long after Halloween ends came, or Halloween kills came out, was that Halloween ends was going to take place four years later that we were skipping ahead four years and a lot of people were having issues with that because um due to a certain character's death in halloween kills you would think that we're not just ready to move that far ahead like these are things that we need to address like immediately because that's a big death that happened can't spoil it 10-year rule you know who it was though if you watch the film and it is interesting that they're scooching ahead for years. And the storyline that they've released, we don't know if it's official, basically says that Lori has finally decided to move on with her life and that she's not going to let Michael Myers control her life anymore. She's trying to actually live. So I think somewhat similar to her in H2O because it says she's also written a memoir and she's like living out her life. But a uh, somewhere nearby, uh, somebody kills a boy and that's leading to Michael Myers' return, whether this kid is gonna end up being a copycat or somehow this all leads to Michael getting drawn back out, which is probably what's gonna end up happening. But the trailer though, the trailer very much showed us old school Lori, and by that I mean current Jamie Lee Curtis, but decked out looking like old school Lori with the jean pants and the blue shirt and running around in the house trying to fight off Michael Myers. And there's some big tension in there, including Michael Myers forcing Lori's hand to turn on a garbage disposal and then trying to shove her hand down it. Uh, absolutely loving it. It looks so, so good. And if what you're saying is that, and my here's my assumption, I'm gonna throw it out there because they said this is gonna be different from any other film we've seen before. My only assumption is that we're going for something simple is that we're all thinking a million different things here but maybe different is just a return to form maybe we are getting basically a combination of halloween and friday the 13th part five the one where it's not actually jason Voorhees, it's tommy jarvis doing jason Voorhees, uh or uh the dad roy it was roy it was roy it was jason Voorhees. tommy jarvis was at the end but i get the idea we're getting a combination of halloween one and Friday the 13th part five, and we're blending those together. And I am so excited to see how this turns out. But I digress, folks. Tune in, because tonight we are talking Nope and Sorority Row. You don't want to miss this, folks. This is T, watches a scary movie.
all tuning in to check out a couple reviews. As I've mentioned, both of these reviews are available separately in video form here on YouTube in case you don't have the time to watch the full episode. But remember, things like movie news and opinions on other things besides the movies I'm reviewing, they're only gonna be able to be caught in the full episode, which goes up every Wednesday night at 8.30 p.m. Mountain Standard Time at youtube.com slash C slash Theron Reynolds Scary Movie. And the audio version goes up half an hour earlier at 8 p.m. on all your favorite podcasting platforms. I know what uh, Get Out, like, when we eventually heard the title, you know, the title in the movie, Get Out, when Lakeith Stanfield is at uh, at that party with Daniel Kaluuya and, uh, and, um, and like he breaks like breaks the whole mind hold and tells him really quickly to get out. Like he's like, ah, you know, the Peter Griffin reaction to hearing the title in the movie. And us, I'm sure they said us a bunch of times there. Not as special in that. But there's something incredibly, incredibly unique about Nope that the word Nope in itself is something that gets used a lot in horror films, especially horror films um, with like a, a black cast in it because very simply, like in a very meta moment, that is something we'll usually say like, hey, that looks like a dark alleyway and it's the quicker way to get home or we can go the long way that adds an hour and you look down the dark alleyway and it looks like you're just gonna get stabbed in there and you're like, nope, not doing that. And I love that, I absolutely love that. Uh, like that's the first thing that stood out about this movie to me is the fact that it works so perfectly. And Jordan Peele absolutely plays that up in the movie because numerous times throughout it, whether the characters are actually saying it, um, there are multiple situations in the film note to where the only word, the only thing that's appropriate to say in these situations really would be, nope, not doing that. And that is leading us here into my thoughts on Nope. Now, let me first throw this out here, y'all. You know my 10-year rule. So you don't have to worry if you're watching this right now or listening, you don't have to worry that I'm gonna drop heavy spoilers for the film because I want y'all to be surprised, especially if it's within 10 years, you gotta be able to enjoy it because this is still a movie, obviously, that hasn't even come out yet, depending on when you're watching or listening to this. Uh, I'm recording this still a few days before its release, but Um, it's still a chance to see it in theaters. It's going to be obviously on streaming and on physical media within about a month, month and a half or so. So I want to make sure that y'all get a chance to really enjoy this, but that doesn't mean we still can't have fun watching this film. And we're given a very, very interesting start to note. Um, we have, uh, we have our lead character. Uh, I, I don't know if lead character is the right word. We have one of our leads, uh, OJ, played by Daniel Kaluuya, um, who is out tending to the horses on the farm that he runs with his father, uh, played by Keith David, who is uh, uh, OJ Sr. And, or, oh, oh. and the, the idea is something drops down and kills OJ's father. Something just drops randomly from the sky and kills OJ's father. We know it's something weird. We have no idea what it is there, but something happens at the beginning of this movie to where objects fall from the sky and OJ's father is killed. Now, OJ, his father, and occasionally his sister run a business for movies and TV, just Hollywood studios in general, to where they basically run a horse farm and they lease out their horses for productions that might need a horse on set. So we see that uh, OJ and his family have worked on various movies and TV shows, and right now they're filming a commercial. 
And that introduces us to OJ's sister, M, or Emerald, who is fashionably late and has all these other side hustles going on there that she's trying to push and promote. And while, of course, she loves her brother and they love being around each other there, at the same time, we could tell that OJ is clearly, clearly not wanting to deal with his sister as this is not an isolated incident. His sister clearly doesn't put much back into the business that OJ is trying to save. Now, that's, of course, the story of our two lead characters. We also feature local amusement park owner Ricky Jupe Park, played by Stephen Yoon, who you might know from, um, uh, 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 what's it called? I Say the Walking Dead. Uh, and I know that's obviously not a timely one because the better idea would probably be to go with, uh, I Say Sorry to Bother You because I freaking love Sorry to bother you, but it's Minari. Yeah, from Minari. Um, and, but Stephen Yu makes up the the third of our leads in this film, who runs a nearby amusement park that employs some of OJ's horses from time to time, and is clearly also dealing with some of his own trauma from his childhood uh, childhood acting days as well too. And the story of Note, as you've guessed from the trailers and what's been released, has to do with aliens. The idea is, is that, well, if you have a chance to catch the one thing on camera that can make you rich beyond your wildest dreams, how far are you willing to go to make that happen? And that's only one of the story threads that we're following here in Note, but that's the big overarching story there, is that OJ and Emerald realize that they might have proof of an alien encounter, and their goal is to try to capture that as a way of basically taking care of themselves now that their father is gone and they don't have exactly the best business going with their uh, their Hollywood horse business that they're running. Now, they're joined by uh, Fry elect uh, uh, Electric Technician Angel Torres, played by Brandon Perea, uh, who comes out to install numerous video cameras for them to have a better opportunity of catching glimpses of these aliens that are plaguing the uh, Haywood farm. And I enjoy the fact that we don't really have to spend that much time going over trying to convince people of the reality of this. We don't exactly have a long runtime with this film. Um, it's a little over two hours. You know, it's 135 minutes. And I know that seems long, but this movie moves like rather briskly. So I feel that had we spent too much time focusing on aliens are real, are they really aliens, etc., etc., we would lose a lot of the movie uh, especially when it comes to a lot of the character building that we get in the film, because there's still a lot of unanswered questions I had about Nope leaving it, um, that had we focused more on, okay, I gotta convince this person that aliens are a thing, probably wouldn't wor have worked out as well. What I will say, though, is that it's hard not to see the parallels to a film like Signs uh, by M. Night Shyamalan, because... Jordan Peele himself has been compared to uh, directors and creators like M. Night Shyamalan before, who basically just came on the scene and just blew everybody away with just this, like, this succession of, like, numerous films in the horror, suspense, sci-fi genre that just blew everybody away. 
But then I feel that while he didn't crack under any kind of pressure, I feel the public just had these loftier and loftier ambitions for his own films that, uh, in my opinion, weren't fair to put on because I like the majority of M. Night Shyamalan films. I actually really, really do. It's more the high-profile ones that I don't really get behind, but I actually like the majority of M. Night Shyamalan films. And it's hard not to see the parallels with Jordan Peele because Get Out and Us were so uh, such highs, especially in the black community, that a lot of people, I think, put that next effort from him way up here. It had to deliver because those first two delivered and you can do nothing but make perfect films. And Nope is really, really good. Um, it'll take a second watch for me to see if I would put it on the same level of an Us or a Get Out, but it is a really, really good movie. And I feel that, again, while this is going to be the most accessible film, I do think this will be the most accessible film to audiences out there because even though it is a predominantly black story, uh, unlike Get Out and Us, I feel that it's, it's presented maybe in a more comfortable way for non-black audiences to take in, you know, however important that may be. Y'all can watch a movie, you know. Um, but uh, what, what I will say is that it, it's not... It's not hard to see the parallels between a film like Signs and a movie like this to where there's some of the same continuity threads between like Signs and Nope to where, you know, this family loses a family member and that kind of guides what they're doing the rest of the movie around aliens and uh, their idea of trying to catch some kind of proof that these aliens exist as well, too. And all these things they're going to get from discovering it. And um, while... While I will say that I didn't have the same kind of terror as I did in Signs, there was different, a different kind of terror in, uh, in Note for sure. Um, it definitely doesn't have the same kind of scares that Signs provided to where, like, you know, the hand under the door, alien just showing up, things like that, to where we're just completely freaked out. They, they have much different scares in Nope's for sure, including a really, really good sequence set earlier in the film. Uh, when the Haywood Farm is besieged by uh, by some intruders, that really really good at setting up the tension and uh, the like some some good fear earlier on in the story. The thing that kind of that, that kind of intrigued me though was that one of the one of the story threads that we follow follows Ricky Juke, played by Stephen Yoon, and again his childhood career as a child actor on a sitcom. And uh, an incident that involved a, a monkey, a chimp, on a sitcom that he was on. And it's interesting because there are implications that something to do with that incident has something to do with what's going on in the main story with the aliens themselves. But we're not really given any kind of concrete proof. There's a lot of like pieces that you have to put together and kind of make the assumption for yourself, which is fine because I, I've never been a person who's had an issue like connecting those kind of dots for myself. But I do wish that if that was like not the downside or the lull, but if that was going to be like the one thread that didn't make a lot of sense to me, I do wish there were just a few more clues with that particular part of the storyline. Um, and in general, actually, I just really like Steven Yoon as an actor a lot, so I, I really do wish that he got more time on screen as well, too, because he's definitely the uh, the third lead of the film, but his screen time isn't isn't the same as Daniel Kaluuya or Kiki Palmer. And I, that's not to say that I would I would sacrifice screen time with the two of them to get more with Steven Yoon, but. I feel that he probably should have been included just a little bit more. And of course, there are things that I probably didn't pick up that on a second watch are going to make a hell of a lot more sense to me. 
Um, and in my head, I think I'm connecting, like I said, some of those story, some of those dots from uh, from Jupe's storyline to the Haywood story. But I'm not entirely sure about that. Uh, what I will say is that when we get to the crux of everything, towards like the the, the final act of the film itself, there's uh, there, there's nothing skipped, nothing left unturned at that point. I feel that uh, Jordan Peele decided to not just like jerk us around. And he really unleashed the full force of this movie in that third act, which is interesting because I have seen a number of reviews that have said how much the film they felt falls apart in the last act of it, which I didn't feel in the least bit, honestly. Honestly, I felt that the second half of the film actually was stronger than the first half because it validated so much of what happened in the first half of the film. And the character work we get, especially from uh, Kaluuya and Palmer, is just fantastic. Like, that sibling relationship from the start of the film until the end of the film is a constant, like, roller coaster. So we're hoping that, can these two just get along? Can these two just finally be on a good page with each other? Like, we can tell they love each other. We can tell they're, they're concerned for each other there. But it's not really until the third act that we really get to see those family bonds, which I really enjoyed getting to see because those two just make a great pairing as a brother and sister team in here. Now, in regards to the aliens themselves, I'm not going to say much about that because I do want this to be a legitimate surprise. But what I will say is that Jordan Peele absolutely took a took an approach and he took a uh, he, he took a viewpoint that hasn't been used before with aliens as far as i'm aware of uh at least he decided to do something incredibly unique with the aliens and i really applaud him for that because i do feel that given what we all think or at least what i thought nope was going to turn out to be prior to seeing it is very very different from what ultimately ended up on scene like without question it's very, very different from what ended up on scene. And that's okay, because I like the fact that my expectations were completely turned on their head. They don't have to equal the same thing. I, I like being surprised like that. And Jordan Peele definitely bought a surprise, uh, brought a surprise to this for sure. And there were definitely a lot of social commentary in there, which Jordan Peele is so great at doing. And again, it, I can only point out what I feel that I picked up because I know uh, my friend John, who I mentioned, uh, he got some different lessons out of the film for sure. And one of the ones that kind of stood out to me was earlier on in the film when OJ and Emerald are on this commercial set and they're hired to bring one of their horses to do this spot for this commercial. And, you know, OJ is very much telling everybody, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. You need to listen to me. I'm the expert. And if you don't do it, something's going to happen. And uh, it, it's hard not to get some real world parallels that the one person who knows what they're doing and you've brought in this expert, that is what they're paid for, that is their job, and they're telling you not to do something and you do it anyway and bad shit happens. And then you're surprised and you're angry and you're upset. It's like, well, why? You were warned, you were told, and you still ignored it. You still decided to go a completely different route than what you were told. So there are absolutely some big lessons for sure in this film to pick up on. Uh, and that's just one of the few that stood out to me. Also, very cool seeing Michael Wincott in the film as well, because the entire time I'm watching this guy, uh, so Michael Wincott plays this director, Antler's Hoist, who ends up, uh, uh, who 
directs the commercial that OJ and Emerald are working on at the beginning of the film. And I couldn't tell until the end of the movie. It's like, this guy's voice. I know I know his voice, and I know he looks familiar, but I can't figure out why. And it was fucking Michael Wincott, who's so awesome. Robin Hood, Men in Tights. Uh, uh, excuse me. Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Excuse me. I was thinking Men in Tights. Same time. Same fucking time. Uh, but a fantastic cast in this film. There is some terrifying imagery in it for sure. Like, there's absolutely going to be a few scenes that I feel... Uh, some of you out there are just going to audibly gasp in the theater over it. Uh, but it's also still funny. And that's the one thing that I'm happy that Jordan Peele has been able to maintain is that with all of his films so far, he's been able to keep that balance to where he can shock and surprise us, but he can also keep us happy and comfortable with the film as well, too. And I, I really enjoyed that he seemingly does that so easily. It doesn't seem to be hard at all for him to keep those two things together. So kudos to you, Jordan Peele, on another success. So with that, you guys have to go and check Nope out. It's in theaters right now. And I say that obviously if you're watching this within, uh, you know, mid-July to mid-August, basically. Uh, it's in theaters. You absolutely want to check this one out here. Um, it's perfect. And if you were a person who didn't really enjoy Get Out or Us, I think this will be a little bit more your taste. You're also insane if you didn't like either one of those films. But hey, you know, more power to you for it. But definitely get the theaters. Go check out Nope, everybody. Folks, again, I appreciate you tuning in. Make sure to hit that subscribe button. And also, please, please, please make sure to get out there and support some causes that really need us right now. If you check out poltergeistandparamours.com, um, it's a great website with a lot of really, really awesome horror clothing on there, including a bunch of Fight Like a Final Girl t-shirts, which right now, all proceeds are going to a lot of abortion causes across the United States. Obviously, we know what's just happened recently with Roe v. Wade, and uh, I am 100% in support of that. I've already bought a shirt. I'm gonna be buying more shirts as well, too, because this is a cause I really, really wanna be able to support and help as much as I possibly can. So think about giving to these, uh, these places out there that really need you. So, following up on my review of The House on Sorority Row, one of our OG slashers that told the story about a group of sorority sisters who choose to play a prank on their house mother, which lead, uh, or led to her deranged son seeking revenge on them years later, uh, killing all, uh, trying to kill all of them for revenge for his dead mother. Now, it's a great slasher. It's a very, very simple premise. Somebody is killed. Family member who's upset decides they're going to take everything into their own hands. It's a fantastic film and a very, very easy slasher to get behind. When we got the remake, the remake came out and it was very interesting only because it came out uh, during the time to where we were getting all of these remakes. I'm not sure uh, if y'all have heard me talk about it numerous times before, but I have. The 2000s, from 2000 to 2010 specifically, was just the land of remakes of old slashers and other horror films coming out to Hollywood again. So, you know, we got our Black Christmas, we got our uh, Japanese remakes, we got like the Hitcher, and we ended up with Sorority Row as well. Now, the idea behind a lot of these remakes was that they were going to keep the very simple basis of the story, but then do everything else different very very different from something like uh like let's say like a fright night to where 
Fright Night is, it, it's not a shot for shot remake, sure, but for the most part, it's the same story. Vampire moves in next door to Charlie Brewster, uh, you know, starts flirting with his mom and his girlfriend and everything. Charlie asks a local horror legend to help him vanquish the vampire, rinse and repeat. That's it. That's all you got to do. With Sorority Road, the idea is that a group of sorority sister plays a prank that backfires horrendously on them, and they are tormented by a being that wants revenge on them. Now, there's a very, very big difference in the motivations of our original killer versus the killer in this, but there's still good motivations. Now, our writer of this uh, is somebody that I've talked about before, Josh Stolberg and Peter Goldfinger, who have written Spiral and Jigsaw and Piranha 3D, amongst a lot of others, a lot of good horror films out there that I really, really enjoy. So it was nice to revisit this just because I really do enjoy Josh Stolberg's work. And what's interesting is that I've seen, I, I would say about 95% of this film before I actually purchased it this week, because over the last uh, 12 years, 12 or 13 years, basically, since it's been out, like I've seen all the movie basically in clips. I knew who the killer was. I knew who the lead characters were. Like I knew pretty much everything about it. I just never saw it in a cohesive manner. So I finally got a chance to see it. And yeah, yeah, you know what? It works perfectly in that time frame of 2000s remix. Because the thing is, is that we weren't getting too complicated of a plot with this. Again, the original plot wasn't that complicated in this one. And this one, I don't want to spoil the motivations of the killer or past the 10 year rule, but what I will say is that um, the, the prank, the prank was very similar to the first one to where somebody was trying to fake a death. And unfortunately that led to a real death and thus that led to a killer emerging and targeting all of these girls. Now, uh, the similarities there past that can uh, continue with the idea that there's, you know, one girl who's kind of like the ringleader of this plot, who's angry and mean to everybody else because she's trying to keep her secret safe. And that ends up with this ringleader and the rest of the girls kind of blackmailing one of the other girls in the group who basically doesn't want to go along with it and wants to do the right thing. Because that's the way that slashers typically work when there's some kind of revenge plot is that somebody wanted to do the right thing. And for whatever reason, they were not able to. And that led to the majority of their problems happening. Now, the killer in this movie does have a weapon they like to use. It is a tire iron. And I do enjoy that because the original film, there wasn't any kind of specialized weapon. Because if you saw how the house mother was killed in the original film, that would make it a little complicated for our killer in that movie to take out other victims. So basically it was just, hey, this is a killer in a mask. They're killing everybody with anything that's around. And that's fine. But I like the fact that they take the trope of, look, most slashers have a uh, trademark item and here's the your trademark item in this film it's going to be a tire iron that also has a knife on it for whatever reason and so on and i i really like that because it's a nice memorable weapon and that leads definitely to some very very memorable kills i like the idea of slashers using weapons that can be used very uniquely there's nothing wrong with the use of something like a knife or a, a hatchet or a chainsaw or anything but we see those in so many movies that there's only so much you can do across a million different movies featuring these weapons to where it gets a little bit old and not old to where i'm bored with seeing it but just that it's always nice and you can appreciate when something new comes on like a tire iron knife i like that quite a bit 
Now, in terms of the actual cast of characters here, this could have uh, could have been uh, slightly better, and I think it's a mix of making sure that we were uh, we were uh, what's the word um, we were selling to that two thousands crowd because if you look at the cast that we have here, you know Brianna Evigan, Leah Pipes, Rumor Will Willis, Jamie Chung, Audrina Partridge from uh, from the Hills and Laguna Beach and all of that. Uh, it's a very very and we can't forget. Carrie Fisher is in this. Carrie Fisher, yes. Princess Leia uh, absolutely had a role in this film as well. So it's not a big one, but she absolutely had a role in this, which I absolutely love because Carrie Fisher just didn't give a fuck. And uh, like I feel in the last like two decades before she passed, Carrie Fisher did whatever the hell she wanted to. Queen, I salute you for that now too. Uh, the cast is the cast is really good, but the problem is I feel, and maybe not necessarily a problem, maybe just because that kind of TV didn't appeal to me, is that a lot of it very much comes off like I'm watching an episode of The Hills or Laguna Beach or something around that time. And again, I say that and it, it sounds like it's a knock. It's not really supposed to be though, because I guess that kind of, like the kind of conversations these girls are having would really like, it would, it would appeal to people who are watching all those shows at that time, which is kind of surprising that this movie didn't really do better because I actually do feel that this appealed greatly to that audience at the time, the MTV generation, when MTV was still good back then. So just very interesting observation with that. Now, in terms of everything else, it's surprisingly not bloody. Um, and not that the original uh, sp specifically was, but the 2000 horror films, that was one of their biggest calling cards is that you're going to get more gore and more blood. And the deaths are definitely more violent, but there's so much cutting away and there's so many shots not being seen that I was honestly very surprised at the lack of blood and gore that came with that. And that's okay. I, you know, I don't need blood. I don't need, I need body parts, stuff like that to really enjoy a film. But some of these girls are killed in very violent ways. There's other victims as well, too, that are killed in different ways as well. And I guess it's just interesting to me that we didn't get any lingering shots. And as far as I'm aware, there's not an unrated version of this film. So it's like, where are the these other shots? They really edit it that much. Now, the film does leave it open for a sequel like the original movie did. And honestly, I am kind of surprised that we never got like even a direct-to-video sequel just because Sorority Row actually seems like the kind of uh, the kind of franchise that would have worked well keeping it going on direct to video, especially this new one. Um, like I reviewed The Hitcher recently and The Hitcher is not one that I would have continued on. And yes, they did make a sequel to the original film before they made the remake that C. Thomas Howell came back for, Jake Busey was in it as well. I've talked about it a little bit, um, but I did find it interesting that this was not a franchise that, that got more movies done because I feel the college setting is so easy and cheap to do for direct to video. So just it, very, very interesting to me then we got nothing else out of this. Now, in terms of which one is better, this is definitely an original film in this case. Um, Y'all know with some of the other remakes, uh, remakes that I've looked at and the originals there, I typically go the route of the original. But with, uh, but with this one here, I guess I'm still going the original on this one as well too. They're both good. I'd watch them both. I, I will probably watch the remake more than I do the original film, honestly. But the good thing is that the original still feels so contemporary that it doesn't feel like I'm watching something super old, checking that out. So I'll end up watching both of these, honestly, fairly regularly. But 
the remake of Sorority Row is free right now, both on Tubi and on Freebie. So if you check both of those out, you got a chance to check this out for free and not pay a dime for it. So go watch yourself some Sorority Row, y'all. Enjoy. Hey everybody, I appreciate you checking out this video, whether it was a review, whether it was a new episode, whether it was an unboxing, an interview, or whatever else. I want to remind you, you can check out my separate reviews also on my YouTube page, and new full episodes go up every Wednesday night on YouTube at 8.30pm Mountain Standard Time, and on your favorite podcasting platforms at 8pm Mountain Standard Time. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button, like, and share. My name is T, we've been talking scary movies. Stay scared.